Okay, good afternoon. Uh, this is the Capital Research Center's Ask Me Anything panel, where we invite you to stump the experts. Um, this is also going to serve as CRC's Influence Watch podcast for the week. Uh, our Influence Watch podcast actually airs every Thursday at 10 a.m. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other uh, uh, podcast service that you use, or you can catch it live on Facebook or uh, YouTube every Thursday at 10 a.m. Um, this also highlights our Influence Watch uh, website, which we just launched in August of 2017. Influence Watch is designed to be a wiki-style encyclopedia of all of the influencers, whether it's the organizations, foundations, uh, PACs, legislative agencies, individuals, activists, the entire activist community we are trying to uh, connect the dots on our website. Our website is really designed to be very precise, fact-checked, uh, very balanced in its presentation of information so that the information is just overwhelming uh, when you look at what the, or who the organizations are and what the connections might be. Um, the individuals who are going to be on our stage are certainly Dr. Allen, who many of you just heard. He is our chief investigative officer. Uh, uh, Scott Walter is our president. He served for um, he served in the Bush administration. He's been our president for uh, since uh, 2016, uh, and he also served at Philanthropy Roundtable. Mike Watson is the managing editor of the Influence Watch website, and he has served uh, as our, our research director and uh, previously was uh, researching at a public affairs firm. Matthew Vadim is another one of our senior researchers. He has been at CRC for 10 years, and he is the author of Subversion, Inc., uh, which exposed the ACORN network. So one of these, or all of these individuals are well-equipped to handle these questions, so please feel free to ask them anything. Oh, and uh, one, one thing I will say, and Scott, you may want to echo this, uh, we, we are really focused on the connections, so we're not, you know, the, the person who wins the uh, iPad isn't going to be the person who asks if George Soros dyes his hair, and we don't know that answer. This is going to be more about the substance uh, of the connections between and among the organizations. So if you know something that we don't, that's what we will reward. So thank you. Okay, thanks so much, Kristen. Uh, and welcome to this week's uh, podcast for the Influence Watch website. Uh, Mike Watson and I are the ones usually on that, but we're joined, as Kristen said, by more colleagues from the Capital Research Center here. And uh, we are happy to take questions on any part of the, the webs uh, of the left or on how the various uh, donor entities operate and the rest. Uh, and I think to, um, uh, to start things off, I'm going to ask my colleague Mike Watson uh, to review one of his favorite uh, stories that we've covered, and then we'll start taking questions. So. Uh, is anyone here from New York City? One. Uh, so the, ma the mayor, of, your mayor, the mayor of New York City, uh, Bill de Blasio, is obviously a fairly left-wing Democrat. Uh, his political consultancy, or his, it's not his consultancy, but his communications consultants, uh, Ber Berlin Rosen, also the communications consultants for New York State Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, uh, in late 2016, they had a very interesting client the Jill Stein campaign. 
the Green Party's, we, we, we may all remember, shortly after it turned out that Donald Trump had won the Electoral College uh, by winning very narrow margins in uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, uh, the Green Party launched a series of recount efforts, independently funded, because it was, although it was close, it was within a percent, I think, in all three states, uh, it was not close enough for an automatic recount. The, uh, and somebody obviously had to handle the communications for that, and uh, Jill Stein turned to Bill de Blasio's consultants, uh, who were paid, I believe the total was something in the order of $250,000. Uh, to handle the, the communications and the press for those uh, those recounts, which I believe one was dismissed at it was like dismissed from even before it happened, one upheld the result, and the other just never went forward. I, I believe that to be the case. Yep. Uh, thanks. If, if folks want to ask questions, uh, we have the two microphones, uh, and you're also uh, welcome to ask Steve. Uh, questions if there's things left over from all the fun fusion uh, and the rest. Yes, sir. Hi. Um, what's the current status of the potential release of Lois Lerner's closed door testimony? Yes. Does anybody know? Uh, Do not. Yeah, I, I haven't heard I haven't heard more on that. I will I will say that uh, it, it's an instance though where I would uh, blame two folks for uh, how little proper investigations was ever done on that story. Uh, our friends at the Media Research Center, shortly before the 2016 election, uh, went and calculated how long it had been since any major television news network had mentioned the Lois Lerner uh, IRS scandal. And the record was 640 some days. That was the most of any of them. And one of them had been a mere 450 or so days since a mentioning of that. But of course, the Republicans in Congress also deserve credit because they had done nothing to have it enter into the news for more than a year. And then uh, looking quite foolish, I think it was just weeks before the election, right? They, uh, they did a touch of saber rattling uh, about the Lois Lerner scandal. And this, this is particularly egregious because um, the, uh, in the Nixon impeachment articles, which never quite got voted on because he uh, resigned the night before the actual first impeachment vote would have been held, but in the impeachment papers that would have passed the House against him the next day, uh, one of the main articles was precisely abuse of the IRS. So, uh, the idea that we shouldn't be concerned about the kind of abuse that was done there is, is egregious. And I, I'll, I'll apologize, but this is a hobby horse of mine too, is that the, in, in the case of the IRS, there were something like 300 groups that were suppressed in the 2012 election cycle. That was the whole point of that. It was in the lead up to the 2012 presidential election, the IRS was suppressing uh, the tax exempt status granting for these. But it wasn't the usual tax exempt that you think of, the 501c3, like your local women's shelter or the YWCA or whatnot. Um, all but one of those hundreds of conservative groups were 501c4s, they were trying to be, 501c4s, which is a different part of the tax exempt code uh, that's designed for things like voter registration um, and get out the vote and uh, issue ads and campaigns. 
So the, the right-wingers were trying to do C4s. In the left's case, they used the C3s for voter registration and get out the vote because there's a loophole. You're allowed to, to use C3 foundation money and C3 uh, charitable groups money to do those highly political things as long as you do it on a nonpartisan basis. Now, that, of course, in this town is laughable. You will not find a single person willing to swear to you that there is a C3 group somewhere that does voter registration and get out the vote on a nonpartisan basis. So, and it's actually worse with regard to Nixon because I believe that was for attempted, uh, an, att an attempt Nixon was making to use the IRS to go after his political enemies and that the people at the IRS had actually uh, refused to, to do that. Uh, and yet that was an article of impeachment and was described as the, the article that was most likely to pass uh, and uh, remove him from office. So the, um, you know, the, the, and, and, and there's a pattern of abusing the IRS. If you go back to the 90s, what the Clintons would do is that they would have questions raised in articles from friendly reporters. Remember, Sidney Blumenthal himself was a New Yorker writer and worked for other media organizations. And uh, they would have their own people uh, plant these stories, then the IRS would turn around and use these stories as the basis for opening investigations. So Heritage Foundation and Cato and any group that was conservative or libertarian would get targeted, and the, and the people at the IRS would just say, well, we're just going by what's in the media, you know? I mean, if these questions are raised, we have to investigate them, but of course they wouldn't, the media would not raise questions for groups that were on the other side. And, uh, and then I uh, had my personal experience um, I was involved with, uh, with Newt Gingrich during this IRS case that I mentioned, and there was actually an IRS report that cleared him, and the Clinton administration, uh, the, the, the White House, ordered the IRS people to sit on it. And finally someone leaked it, and we were able to get it out, and it was cleared. But, uh, but for that, uh, the idea was to just let it hang over him, that he was under investigation, and he would forever be under investigation. The, uh Yes, actually, I have to give my favorite uh, quick, oh, we have a, a question? Okay, well, well you, you, you go ahead. I'll tell my, uh, my other IRS story in a minute. Um, I basically want to go back to where we were with the FBI and the, um, the collusion and the corruption with McAuliffe. Um, I am from Virginia, and um, I have a dog in that fight and have really studied this. In 2014, the FBI came out with a statement on public corruption for Virginia. All of it was to go to a special group. I've learned since then they did it in a couple of different states. The different things that have been left out of the media is basically right now McAuliffe has 32 Chinese nationals in Fairfax County, not in federal court, suing him for the 500,000 they put into that EB-5 program. <laughs> right. And the- Yeah, the, um, visa, the visa for sale program. The visa uh -huh. for sale project, yes. And they waited, it's been five years, they um, never sold any cars, they have the 25 cars they had come up with. Um, there are several other um, of the people who put up more than half a million dollars, this is just 32 of them. And, um, and it kind of ties in with Wang, who had given him $130,000 um, earlier. But in 2014, when the FBI took all that over, we had several incidences in Virginia. Number one was Democratic um, um, fundraiser, um, Michael Gardner. 
Michael Gardner molested several young girls. Michael Gardner was found guilty in court. Michael Gardner, the appeals court said, no, you don't get to go out. Our Supreme Court, Cynthia Kinzer, not only let him out, he then turned around and tried to kill, hire a hitman to kill the young girls, which is a pattern in practice in Virginia. And um, so what happened was the FBI very quietly went in and had a private meeting with the um, Virginia legislature, Courts of Justice, and um, Cynthia Kinzer. And what happened was Cynthia Kinzer all of a sudden just retired. News media, everyone said, oh, it just got to be a lot for her. She is now the ethics counsel for our um, Supreme Court and is also a very active, um, active attorney. But it doesn't stop there. The corruption starts at the Richmond School of Law. At the same time that James Comey, Tim Kaine, were, from what I can tell, were adjunct professors. Adjunct professors usually, from what I've been told, make five, 10, 15,000 maybe. They made 35 to 50,000 per one article I was able to dig up. So basically, all of our Virginia State Bar, ethics people and whatnot, are all hired as ethics, are hired as adjunct professors at the Richmond School. The accolades that James Comey was given was, there's been two that um, I've, since 2014, one was a special degree and another one was to speak at the um, commencement service. And um, it goes deeper and deeper. Our FBI, one of the agents that was supposed to investigate my stuff, I have on tape stating very clearly, they took it over in the um, FBI in DC. They're not allowed to investigate anything. The, so when you say the FBI, the seventh floor mm -hmm. is has nothing to do with the rank and file, it's totally untrue. The rank and file are following the instructions throughout all of this. And that's just a few things that I've got. I mean, you when you look at what Eric Holder did, $251 billion in our mortgages, he walks out the door, he negotiated all that with Covington and um, Burlington, where he walked into his 11th floor office and was given a $78 million check. As a Loudoun County resident in, uh, in Virginia, the hillbillies, right? Ignorant Although he misspelled hillbillies. I mean, uh -huh. if you're going to say somebody is an ignorant hillbilly, you should at least spell it right. So, yes, well, uh, as an ignorant hillbilly in, uh, in uh, Loudoun County, uh, I, I appreciate your, your watchdogging all the stuff. I, it's hard to believe that in a state uh, controlled by Terry McAuliffe there could be <laughs> Anything shady, but but perhaps uh, perhaps there's something to that. Uh, I, thanks so much. I wanna I wanna uh, call on Matthew Batum at this point um, for something that we often get asked about, which is is it possible to trace uh, money to Antifa? And the, the the simple answer is it's it's it isn't easy to trace, and it isn't clear that they need much money. But groups that are at least in the fringes near in the in the general neighborhood of Antifa uh, do seem to have somebody that's able to assist them. If, Matthew, if you want to tell a little of that story. Right, so we're talking about the concept of fiscal sponsorship here, and that's where an ad hoc or an un or unincorporated, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> activist group um, can um, take donations 
that the donor can deduct from his income taxes by uh, funneling the money through an established uh, 501c3 nonprofit corporation. And um, so this is called fiscal sponsorship. And then the C3 will take a few points. We'll take some juice, the VIG from it, uh, a premium, and, uh, uh, and that way you can deduct the money from your, your income tax if you're donating to the group. So what happens? Or if you're a foundation that has to give to a 501c3 charity, it's kosher. Sure. And, and, if, and if I may interject one thing, the IRS rules governing fiscal sponsorship are fairly clear that you can only fiscally sponsor an organization, like if CRC were to fiscally sponsor a project, it would have to be in line with our mission. So you, it's not like you can just have a, a fiscal sponsoring entity that fiscal sponsors everything. If you, if you fiscally sponsor something, you are tacitly saying you agree with it. You are tacitly saying that you, I mean, you're fairly explicitly saying that you support them. Okay, so um, uh, with Antifa, it's uh, almost impossible to find out who's actually funding them, but you can get to the, the emanations and penum penumbras of it by uh, looking at uh, uh, organizations that are related to Antifa. So you look at, there's a, a, a group fairly obscure called the Alliance for Global Justice, which serves as a um, fiscal sponsor for an actual Antifa group, Refuse Fascism. Uh, and so you can give money to Alliance for Global Justice, earmarked for Refuse Fascism. And then you can deduct it from your taxes and then Refuse Fascism will beat you up at a rally if they don't recognize you as a donor, presumably. Uh, set fire to your car and you know smash up your bank's uh, windows or, or whatever it is that these Antifa people do. So that is the, um, the Soros connection, is that Soros has given some money through his Open Society Foundations to the Alliance for Global Justice. So what we have here is a, a meeting of the minds, uh, uh, they're the same, they're, they're moving in the same direction or Soros wouldn't have given them money. Uh, he embraces their radicalism but not openly in public, uh, their, their radical tactics. And, um, and, and so that's what we've been investigating and uh, uh, it's pretty slow going but we're, with luck we will turn up more uh, in the future uh, as more groups uh, get created and have to file their uh, IRS Form 990s, their annual report. It's like a, a, an informational uh, return that they have to file with the IRS every year. But when you start a new organization, there's a bit of a lag before it starts to show up um, in repositories of information like GuideStar Guide or on Nexus or what have you. So uh, short answer is no, we don't know where Antifa money comes from, but we're looking really hard. And if, if I may interject briefly on Alliance for Global Justice in a broader sense, uh, you can go to our websites, influencewatch.org and capitalresearch.org. We have written up on the organization. Uh, even if you look beyond the possible connections to Antifa, uh, these guys are backers of communist regimes in Latin America. They collect money for the legal defense funds for cop killers. They're the, far, they're the, the extreme left. Uh, and you know they—they they are not. 
the Democratic, you know, the Democratic Party. They are the extreme left in the United States. Yes. Uh, do you have a question? Yeah, hi. Um, I have a question about David Brock, who is involved in a lot of different groups. And I understand um, he's connected to at least probably three or four different major organizations on the left. So if you could talk a little more about that. Yeah, I'm going to ask Mike, uh, who knows a great deal about one of the parts of the Brocktopus, uh, which is the David Brock Empire Group's uh, crew, especially. Yeah, so Brock is a former conservative, now liberal. Uh, liberal is maybe giving him a little bit too, too much credit. Close alignment with the Clinton family. Um, who ran a number of the uh, Clinton-supporting super PACs in the 2016 election, and he still runs a couple of, uh, of liberal organizations. Uh, until very recently, he was chair of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, which is a long-standing... Or CRU. Uh, cr CRU, yeah. CRU is its, is its acronym name. Uh, a long-standing liberal legal... Uh, and ostensibly ethics group, uh, spent most of the Bush years going after Bush administration figures, uh, former Republic, House Republican leader Tom DeLay, uh, obviously since 2017 has spent most of its time going after the Trump administration. Uh, however, in the early Obama years when there were no Republicans in Washington worth going after because they had no power because they had lost the 2008 election, uh, the crew made a curious decision. This is before Brock gets involved. Crew makes a curious decision. The liberals, the Obama administration, were trying to increase regulations on for-profit secondary education, for-profit universities. Uh, Kaplan, uh, University of Phoenix, those are the two big ones. Um, and crew came out very hostile to one of the leading advocates for increasing these regulations on these for-profit universities. Uh, and this actually got suspicious, this actually raised the suspicions of the left. Uh, Mike Elk, who is a highly controversial uh, labor union activist and reporter, uh, was kind of the first guy to look around and say, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Why are these liberals opposing this Obama administration initiative that had been fairly popular amongst liberals. And he suspected that they were taking money from a, someone connected to for-profit universities. Many, many years later, we find out that using a cutout political consultancy in Sacramento, foundations connected to John Sperling, who is the former, at the time he was, the head of University of Phoenix, we're using these nonprofits connected to the Sacramento political consultancy to run money into a number of organizations, most prominent was Crew, that then were created this sort of liberal opposition to this Obama administration rule, which would have hurt University of Phoenix. Um, you know, that that's a, it's a classic example of what you might call pay to play. Uh, you're making at you're advocating against what should what you would think would be your ideological interest. Yeah. Um, oh yes, sir. 
So I think that um, the woman in the back, that, that was a fantastic, um, I think that she would, should win an iPad. But uh, I just <laughs> wanted to come up because I'm a student. I'm So, um, I'm a student, I'm, I'm, I'm here from West Michigan, from Calvin College, so long trip all the way here. And um, West Michigan is one of the reasons that Trump may have won the election, granted. I'm from Illinois originally, so I was the youngest, uh, one of the youngest uh, elected uh, re conservative Republicans um, in any forum in the state of Illinois. So, I, for a lot of my time in politics in Illinois for about a year during the campaign, I was fighting Mike Madigan, who is uh, from the precinct right around Midway Airport, um, controlling my state, controlling my city um, very deeply. Um, I, I don't know, I'm sure you might already understand the, the his blog, The blog Red Racing Horses, which I recommend that you read, uh, refers to him as the state dictator, mm -hmm. with Absolutely. dictator hyphened out. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't, I'm sure you might already know his scheme, but to maybe fill in everybody else, being that he is the Speaker of the House, and he has a lot of power over what I believe is the, um, the, um, uh, the county um, uh, property assessor, the, the, the assessors of the However, however much money the buildings are worth, basically, the property assessments. And so he put, puts all of his cronies inside this department, and then he um, goes and assesses, say, the Willis Tower from a foreign investor who buys the building or any of one of the other buildings that are mostly now purchased by Japanese and uh, South Korean and Chinese investors. And he will say that, oh, no, these buildings are worth six times more than they're worth. Or, or he'll even go the other way around. And then he'll go to his private firm, his law firm, and he will fight against his own cronies to either lower or raise the property value, so, and then he'll take a cut of that. He'll take about 10 to 30% of that cut, and he'll just take that and put that in his own pocket. And unfortunately, that's completely legal under the current um, way that that's all set up. And I'm sure you might already know that, but I kind of fill in that for everybody else. And I figured, well, as a student, maybe I'd try to win an iPad. <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate it, and uh, you, if you go to capitalresearch.org and search for Madigan, you'll find some, uh, some pieces connected to him, including this quotation, which uh, to, to do him his justice, uh, he was described as, quote, more Machiavellian than Machiavelli by incarcerated former Illinois governor, Rod <laughs> Blagojevich. <laughs> so uh, when you earn Rod Blagojevich's respect in that way, you've, you really earned respect. Uh, well, uh, I, uh, Steve, uh, another thing that's fun to, to, oh, I'm sorry, we got another question, sorry. Go um, ahead. My name is Matthew Middleton. I'm a recent graduate from American University here in DC. Um, and with all the focus that we put on George Soros and the, the partnerships that he funds, who are some other big funders that we should be watching moving into 2018 and 2019? Well, who wants to do Steyer? <laughs> Mike? Oh, oh you, uh, Steve, Steve, can, Steve can do Steyer. I'll, I'll do others. Well, uh, uh, Tom Steyer is uh, the person who wants to, he wants to run for president. He, uh, he is a, uh, uh, the main funder of the environmentalist organizations uh, on, the, on the left. Um, obviously, uh, global warming is his, uh, his big cause, or climate change, they would say now. And um, has, uh, he was deeply involved. I mean, we were talking before about Terry McAuliffe, and it just shows you that uh, you know, he, he's pretty much everywhere, because that became a big issue in Terry McAuliffe's race in, in 2013. 
Uh, for governor of Virginia. For governor of Virginia. Uh, that you had Ken Cuccinelli, who was the uh, Republican candidate, who had gone after uh, a guy named Michael Mann, who's a famous uh, environmentalist uh, professor who had uh, been exposed uh, in some, some leaked emails that uh, showed that they had uh, various uh, things had been rigged. There's the famous hockey stick that supposedly shows the dramatic increase in uh, global temperatures that uh, is not valid scientifically. Uh, and yet this fellow had made a lot of it. And so Cuccinelli had gone after him because uh, he had been uh, at the, uh, I guess, University of Virginia. And um, this became then a cause for, for the left. And so they came in, tremendous support. Man actually uh, campaigned with, uh, with McCullough. Uh, and, uh, and Steyer sort of saw that. Virginia is, in some ways, it's a laboratory or a training ground for a lot of what happens because it has its off-year elections. Uh, and so you have a few states like uh, Kentucky and New Jersey that have uh, off-year uh, off, 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 off off or off-off-year, even yeah, 2013, better. 2013, for instance. Yeah, and so, so if, you're, if you don't have much, uh, then uh, that's a good way for your people to go and they can train in that election. Uh, in, uh, in in 2013, it'd be uh, Virginia or New Jersey would be the big uh, big elections uh, in that year. Uh, and uh, in fact, they, when they used to have the big political conventions, they had the largest political conventions ever held in, uh, in democracy anywhere in the state of Virginia for the Democrats and the Republicans. And all the people who ran the national Democratic and Republican conventions would come and train at those in Virginia. So anyway, so, so Virginia becomes this uh, big uh, laboratory. And they were really trying out a lot of the techniques um, in terms of direct mail, in terms of uh, being able to communicate with the people. Obviously, the big thing now is uh, social media and the internet that we're just sort of now trying to figure out uh, how to use. And uh, we're, we're in the early stages, even though uh, people have been using email for politics for 20, more than 20 years. But you're, you're, you're the, the, the effort to use artificial intelligence to find out the people that would be your supporters. So that, anyway, so this is the kind of thing. Steyer is, uh, in particular because of his Silicon Valley uh, connections, uh, is quite uh, dangerous uh, in that regard. And being able to, uh, to tap into that. Uh, and uh, as I've said, one of the great uh, things that we're facing as a threat in our society is lion algorithms. Uh, in other words, computer, uh, uh, computer, in effect, really complicated formulas that decide a lot of things. Uh, like they're using now with uh, uh, with uh, Facebook to decide which sites to censor based on the words that are used. Which, if you rig the algorithm, you can get the results that you want, and nobody can really see inside the algorithm except a very very few people. Uh, and that allows you, you know, you could have like government hiring, for example, where people's qualifications judged based on an algorithm, and you rig it, but no one would be able to know. So this is the kind of thing where, you know, being able to tap into Silicon Valley, uh, that brain trust uh, is really important. And, and money. He, and money. <laughs> and he sort of sort of brings that uh, in, in there as well. Yeah, and St Steyer has been seen in Iowa, not previously noted for its high-tech industry. Uh, so I just make that observation. Mike, you have more? Yeah, so, and. I mean, it, it's easy to focus on uh, people like Steyer and Soros who play uh, in the partisan electoral game. Uh, Steyer, I believe, for the past two cycles has been the, the top uh, single contributor to, five, uh, to super PACs and to, and to political candidates. Um, however, there are also the long-term institutions, uh, the foundations, 501c3 foundations obviously are forbidden from engaging in direct electioneering, vote for X, uh, support, there are limited things that they can fund that say support policy Y. 
some of the big foundations, some of them don't have like a name attached. Ford Foundation has existed for over 100 years? Well, just short of 100. Just short of 100 years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they are, I, I believe they're in the billions in their assets. Over uh, 10. They give hundreds of millions in grants per year. Uh, a lot of it going to groups that support the labor union agenda, that support uh, environmentalism, that support um, you know, the pro-choice movement. Uh, on the pro-choice movement, you have Warren Buffett. Uh, his foundation uh, that he named after his late wife, uh, Susan Thompson Buffett, uh, is one of the large, one of if not the largest private funder of abortion rights and contraceptive development in the world. Yep. Bloomberg. Um, and then uh, also Mike Bloomberg, former mayor of New York City, uh, is the, the leading funder uh, of, gu of the gun, gun control, control movement. Yep. The, uh, in my experience, I've, in years and years of studying the left, I have never found uh, a left-wing group of any significance that did not receive money from Ford and Soros's foundations. It's, it's almost unheard of. And I should just add, Bloomberg's group was in the news recently. Every town for gun safety. Of course, liberals don't care about gun safety. They just want to ban guns, and that's their version of safety. They put out the lie that there were 18 school shootings so far this year. Uh, they counted somebody, I think, committed a suicide or like fired off a gun on school property late at night when nobody was there. You know, they've included all these, yeah, accidental discharges. Uh, the statistic uh, was so misleading that the Washington Post criticized it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's got it. yeah. So that's got to be, um, that's got to be significant. And yet I saw it in the, the lead sentence to uh, an, uh, an episode of NBC Nightly News one night. That was, that, that figure made it into that. Uh, care, careful fact check. Well, well, if you like, you can talk to us about how careful the fact checkers uh, of America are, Steve. Well, uh, I love looking at fact checkers because, of course, they were set up that, that there's this idea of uh, the gateway that you're, uh, you're, our problem in our society is we don't have the folks who are, who are deciding who, who is telling the truth and who isn't, like we used to at some point, supposedly. Uh, and, and that was really true. When you had three TV networks, for example, had three news departments, uh, then uh, it was easier for Walter Cronkite. And if you had three, you know, three anchors who were of your uh, pol political persuasion, you could pretty well control what people hear. And that would be true today. If you just watched NBC, CBS, and, and uh, ABC, you would get a very, uh, very tilted uh, view of things. Uh, I remember that, um, and I, I, I like to point out that there were there were 18 months when uh, Brian Williams was the anchor at NBC and Dan Rather was the anchor at CBS, which means two of the three anchors who were on the three networks during that period ended up being fired for being pathological liars. And, um, and that's, uh, that's kind of what you, what you uh, see uh, with regard to uh, the, the idea of, uh, I think, I think the, the people who want to be fact checkers tend to be people who are authoritarian in mindset. And what they do is, they, um, they, they criminalize, as they see it, um, opinion. So if you say that you, know, you think um, you know, uh, chocolate ice cream is better than vanilla ice cream, they'll do a fact check column, and the point will be that you get four 
uh, pants on fires or four Pinocchios or whatever it is for saying that you know this is your favorite kind of ice cream. Or, or if you question how many scoops of ice cream yes. Donald Trump insists on when dining with other people. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, is it one or is it two? Yeah, and we and and one of my favorite examples of this is from this last um, campaign uh, because uh, Donald Trump said that in his opinion. Uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, immigration policies uh, indicated that she was for open borders. Uh, in other words, for basically not having any restrictions on immigration. And, and this was written up, and all the fact checkers, and I have a, a column on this on our website, written up by, I think, every single one of the fact checkers, uh, PolitiFact and, and, and so on, factcheck.org, uh, was written by every one of them as a lie on the part of Donald Trump. And so I write my piece, I'm starting to write my piece, and I'm like, wait a minute, how can an opinion be a lie? Now, if it has no rational basis at all, you know, the moon is made of green cheese or something like that, uh, then I guess you could say that, uh, that maybe that's, uh, maybe that's a, a lie. But, but a, re a reasonable person could look at Hillary's policies and come to the conclusion that she was for open borders. And then what happened? We had WikiLeaks. And what's in WikiLeaks? Hillary Clinton gives a $225,000 speech to Brazilian bankers. And what does she say in there? That she's for open borders, that that is her dream. So then you go back and look at these pieces by the fact checkers, and they're all about how Donald Trump is a liar for saying something that, A, is opinion, and, you know, subject to, uh, uh, I mean, you, know, you can't say the person's lying for having an opinion you don't like. But then it turns out that it's just factually wrong because we have Hillary saying herself that she was for open borders, that those were a dream. And, and you, you see this pattern every time. I mean, um, Donald Trump said that, um, I think it was he said something like, Hillary, Hillary Clinton's folks gave $675,000 to Jill McCabe. If you were here for the session earlier, we were talking about the woman that ran for the state Senate uh, in Virginia, was married to the uh, uh, FBI official. And, um, Trump says this, and, and this is written up as uh, pants on fire. And, I, and I'm trying to figure out, well, well, how is this that they're writing up? And they, they say, well, okay, uh, Terry McAuliffe, yeah, he gave her this money, and it was from his PAC, and it was from Democratic Party funds that he controlled. But gosh, he also gave money to these other state Senate candidates that were running. And he gave money to these other people who were running for other things. And so how in the world could Trump be implying that there's something wrong with it? There was nothing factually wrong in what he said. Now, you maybe could argue that, you know, he wasn't clear that it wasn't Hillary Clinton personally, but that's not what they attacked him for. Uh, they didn't say, well, you said Hillary Clinton, and what you meant was Hillary Clinton's organization. Um, they didn't attack him for that. They, they've attacked, they just came up with these things from out of nowhere that were, I guess, an argument that maybe it's not fair to criticize somebody for that, but it's not an argument as to whether it's true or not. So they don't seem, these journalists who were gatekeepers don't seem to really understand, you know, the idea of, of objective fact. Yes, sir. Yes, please. It help, uh, so it'll be on the podcast. Hi. So my name is Mike Starr. I work for American Bridge, David Brock's Democratic Super PAC. And I want to know if you folks really believe the left pays to bus voters into polls that they're not allowed to vote at if they really pay the protesters that are out in the streets, uh, do you believe that there is that much money? And I also wanted to ask you, I know Donors Trust obscures a lot of source money on the right. 
Do you know of any mechanism by which the left uses to disguise where its money is coming from? Well, that's really easy, sure. <laughs> Be happy to tell you. Uh, I suggest you go to capitalresearch.org or Influence Watch and you look up the Tides Foundation. Tides Foundation far predates, uh, it far predates uh, Donors Trust and it functions in precisely the same way that Donors Trust does. Uh, the very first grant that it ever, uh, uh, well, the, the very first reason that it was brought into existence uh, was because there was a couple who wished to make a grant to a uh, left-wing environmentalist group. Uh, and now, of course, that's an easy thing to do. You, all you have to do is simply uh, write a check and hand it over to a group. But in this case, they decided, well, they didn't really want to do that. And so they created the Tides Foundation. Sir, are you, are you unfamiliar with the Tides Foundation? There's been quite a bit written about it. I, I mostly am because, like I said, I'm a Democrat, and I'm mm -hmm. much more familiar with Donors Trust and the right-wing uh, money market. Well, would you care to take a guess which organization's <laughs> larger by many tens of millions of dollars? Oh, I know for absolutely. This, for this sure. is publicly available information. This is publicly available information. You, it's a shame you haven't gone to influencewatch.org and crapresearch.org, and you know, it, it's very, it's it's a shame not to be better informed, uh, because the answer is it's very easy. By the by, the tens of millions of dollars per year, the Tides Foundation is larger, and that of course is just one instance of such a thing. Now, you know, we have no idea. Uh, the, both Tides and Donors Trust are dwarfed by groups like uh, Fidelity uh, Charitable Gift Fund and Schwab. Vanguard and Charles Schwab. Those are all just sort of generic commercial entities that do the exact same thing because, of course, it's completely there's nothing illegal about it whatsoever, uh, and they do the exact same thing. And I, no one knows how much of the money that goes through those far larger groups is done to you know, keep it from being easily traceable. But uh, I would suspect that it actually is considerably more because if I were a super uh, nervous donor on the left or right, it would be, I would much rather go through something like uh, Fidelity where nobody would begin to be able to figure it out uh, than through those. So I'm glad to have teed up that softball for you. But can you answer the first two questions too about do any of you really believe that Democrats bust Well, I, I well Scott, for, Scott Fulval said they do, and that they've been doing it for, for a long time, and he was caught on Project Veritas undercover video saying that, and uh, uh, that was the, the sting operation that also included Robert Creamer, where he said very clearly that Hillary Clinton uh, was in on this uh, plot to send people to Trump rallies to try to start rumbles, to try to start fistfights. So, no, it was no. Well, then you're just you're you're factually you're wrong. Well, but and, and, uh, and, and in any event, it's there, there's an there's an easy thing, sir, and that is well that, that example, I believe. Yeah, the uh, uh, James O'Keefe of Project Veritas is probably here. So, you know, if you want an answer to about his tapes, then you're welcome to go talk to James O'Keefe about his tapes, but, but is it tomorrow? But the, but the, but what I can say, you know, that isn't what I was talking about earlier. I was talking, to me, it's a far greater scandal 
um, when you have 501c3 groups, not in the example that you're asking about, uh, busing somebody from you know, Illinois into Michigan to vote or, wh or whatever, uh, something like that, which would be flagrantly illegal. Um, to me, the greater scandal is the way that the left uses 501c3 foundations, money, um, going to 501c3 public charity activist groups to register and to, uh, to register voters and to do get out the vote, let's hope, at least where at their legal polling places. Um, because I know that the left isn't doing that on a nonpartisan basis, which is the only a supposed legal justification for it, leaving aside the question of whether, uh, of, you know, whether there's any improper polling place use of that. I think that that's a scandal and that the, that the IRS and Congress ought to shut down things like that. And I'd be happy to, to if you give me your email, I'll be quite happy to send you one of my favorite things from the uh, Soros leaks, which is a memo. It mentions Matthew Vadim actually in the memo. Uh, it's a memo from 2011, so it's the beginning of the 2012 cycle, and it is from Andrew Stern, then the head of the SEIU, the most, arguably the most politically powerful union. NEA could fight for that title, maybe, but, uh, and Andy Stern at that time was the most frequent outside visitor to the West Wing of Barack Obama, and uh, he and Deepak Bhargava of uh, Color of Change, a uh, community organizer, the two of them are writing this memo to George Soros himself and to the other members of the U.S. Programs Board for the Soros Foundations. And the memo has three points. It says itself, there's three points here. The first point is uh, we, nothing matters except winning the next election. It's an interesting thing for a foundation to be concerned about, but because of course that would be illegal um, if that were their true purpose. But that's all I know is what Andrew Stern tells me. Uh, that the first point is we absolutely have to win the next election. Nothing else matters. The second point is unless you put millions and millions of dollars into, of foundation money into 501c3 activist groups on the left to register and get out the voters, we will not succeed in point one, winning the election. And by the way, don't worry, the Ford Foundation has also pledged millions of dollars as have some other left-wing foundations. Uh, for this registration and get the vote work. And then the last uh, point is we know that you get so tired every election cycle having to put millions of dollars into registration and get out the vote, but uh, we have a fix for that in the long run, electoral reform, quote unquote. And what they mean by that is having groups like the Brennan Center, a grantee of theirs and other grantees, fight all voter ID laws and anything else designed to keep elections honest, uh, having uh, universal registration of all pe persons with a heartbeat, having uh, weeks and weeks and weeks of uh, uh, voting ahead of time, making absentee voting easier, et cetera, et cetera, the whole left-wing anti-voter integrity agenda. It used to be that reporters would you know, back in the days before you were pressured not to do this, they would cover vote fraud. I remember Nightline uh, going down to Alabama and uh, following a truck along, and the truck would deliver um, checks from the government to various houses, and when a check would be delivered, they'd had a little team, and the team would go up, take the check from the, uh, from the, uh, uh, the, uh, the mailbox, that would be like next to the door often of the, of the house, they'd knock on the door, the little lady would come out, They'd say, oh, we have your check here from the government. Oh, and we have your absentee ballot to fill out right now in front of us. And they would do it. And they got caught. 
uh, and there were, there were places where there were more absentee ballots in elections than there were people. So, you know, and, and this was, uh, I mean, Jeff Sessions got in trouble. You know, they, they still call him a racist because he exposed some African Americans who were stealing votes from other African Americans. And, uh, no, he was never. I, he was never a Democrat. Um, at, uh, I, at least not in the th 35 years that I've known him. Uh, in any event, the uh, uh, when I was a political, the first story I ever had, the first uh, scoop I ever had, I should say, was uh, I went to a polling place and they had been uh, voting illegally there for so long that they just did this right in front of me, which was to if you come up and you go into the booth. And as you're going to the booth, they hand you a marked sample ballot, not an unmarked sample ballot, but a marked sample ballot, in other words, telling you how to vote. And if you took too long in the booth, indicating that you were not going by the marked sample ballot, they would stick their heads in and go, hey, Sam, you need any help in there? And then they would go in the booth with people. Now, I, this, when I would go to political conventions, I've been to 10 Republican or Democrat conventions, we'd hang out in what used to be called the railroad lounge, which was the political, the reporters hangout. And we'd stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning telling stories about vote fraud. No matter what your political orientation was, everybody had these stories, and they were true stories. And now there's this thing that, oh my gosh, if you mention vote fraud and you suggest that maybe we ought to have voter ID, which we have for things like buying fingernail polish, but it's not important enough for voting to have voter ID. Uh, and they had, you know, Nelson Mandela wanted voter ID uh, in Mexico and Canada, voter ID. But, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's somehow bad to do that because we don't have any fraud and we're not allowed to report on it. And that's the implication of what you, I mean, I would love to give you, I could give you literally hours of examples of things that either I witnessed or other reporters witnessed and told me credibly about it. Um, and, uh, you know, the sheriff who dies in, in Louisiana and they find in his uh, attic all the ballot boxes that he had stolen <laughs> and he kept a lot of them like a serial killer keeping hair from people, things like that. You know, uh, uh, these things happen. And so, can I so, ask a anyway. quick question because my yep. husband is waiting? Yep. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, but I think you've had a turn. But um, I'm wondering, have you done any research on the SCAFE Foundation who actually supports both left-wing and right-wing causes? Um, because I've actually done some digging on them and, you know, they do, they, they do support um, immigration. I think they were the funding behind FAIR. They are the funding behind CIS, some of the other immigration groups. But they give also to a lot of environmental groups, and they also give to Planned Parenthood. And I've actually dug and found where they are sponsoring programs for sterilization of, of populations in places like Africa and China and, South, and, 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 and Central and South America. Um, have, you, have you ever dug into any of that? The, uh, it's like Scape forth, Mellon. Forth, yeah, forth, forthcoming in one of our next couple months uh, um, mag magazines, magazines mm -hmm. uh, which will be ser serialized on capitalresearch.org. Yeah. Uh, I actually had a piece on the, uh, the, the, the immigration policy debate and the organizations behind it. And that includes. I'm not sure which of the Scafe Mellon philanthropies. I, I, I'm I afraid think I do fair, not. Fair is one. One, um, yeah. The, CIS fair, is he, another he one. Yeah, fair, the donor fair, side. Fair CIS, multiple fair CIS members sides. USA Education yes. Fund. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that was actually born they have, out of the yes, Scafe Foundation. Yes, out of, so, out of yeah. some of the Scafe Mellon philanthropies. Yeah. It's one particular one whose name escapes me at the moment. Yeah, okay, um, no problem. That happens to me all the time. Um, yeah. 
And, and we, we actually we have a report on this forthcoming from our... Uh, but did, did you come across what I'm talking... There was a program yeah, no, they, they, where they, there's actually... It's, it's, they, she, unfortunately, I, 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 she had a very eugenics mentality. And so yeah, one of, one, of the, one, of the, one of the, one yeah. the scaifs uh, was a big fan of Margaret Sanger, the founder, yeah, founder yeah. of Planned Parenthood, uh, so was, notorious was, uh, eugenicist. Cor is it Cordelia uh, scaife? Cordelia Melonscape, I think, was her name. I, I cannot doubt. One, one of the past generations. From, yeah. from, from pe Pennsylvania. Per, from pe yeah, they're, from, they're from Pennsylvania, yes. So there, she, there are, there are, she's also sponsoring anti-fracking-like protesters, too. I believe that is the case, yeah. yes. yes. Oh, well, now you, you may now be talking about the forward generation um, okay. because yeah, there's the, the, there, there were at least four different major but philanthropies funded by Scape I was doing some digging on Scape the Scape Foundation. I also found that they were sponsoring sterilization programs They're in one of the non-white countries, and that I found very disturbing. That I cannot vouch for that. What I can vouch for is that the gay philanthropy I am thinking of gave $100,000 to Planned Parenthood of Western Pennsylvania. No, I know that uh, they support Planned Parenthood, but this was a program that was actually out of Planned Parenthood, and one uh, the person who's ahead of the program was actually former Planned Parenthood and they are actually going in, and, and I'm not sure how aware the women they are. They I'm, are experimenting I'm, I'm, with a sterilization drug. I'm, I'm afraid and I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I, and I'm, I'm not, not trying to go down a rabbit I'm not hole. I'm just with saying that. I, I had come across that years ago, and I'm just wondering if that's still going on, or if you ever came across that. Yeah. Yeah, well, the population control programs are very popular across the political spectrum yeah. with many, many, many large uh, foundations. Because of the Tannen, uh, the John Hugh, Tannen Hewlett connection. is Hewlett, Gates, yeah. um, Tannen, uh, Buffett. Tannen. Yeah. Uh, very popular across the thing. Yeah. Well, we had, we had uh, a very good paper uh, by uh, Mrs. Mancini, the head of the March for uh, Life, about two or three years ago. It's on our website uh, about Planned Parenthood and and uh, uh, you know, taking a the critical view of The variety of sponsors it. behind it. Yeah, my, yep. my, my thing was actually going after, like, looking at SCAFE. I know. I, I'm like, yep. uh, watching the anti, it was like anti-immigration and pro-Planned Parenthood. Yeah, there, there, it was there, basically there is. for population control. Yeah, there, so. there is one of the scape Mellon philanthropies whose name I so, which is shame eugenics, on me escapes which me. Which I find eugenics kind of concerning. So I yep. entirely understandably. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The, All right, thank you so much. And thank, well, and, and, and I, I apologize, but we, they are going to throw us out of our room here in just a second. Uh, but we are very grateful for everybody's participation. We're happy to talk to folks afterwards. Uh, thank you so much. As I say, I hope every Thursday you will check out the Influence Watch podcast. Thanks so much.